Well, hey, welcome to Madison Church Online with Exchange. My name's Stephen. I'm the lead pastor of Madison Church, and we're just so grateful that you're here with us watching online wherever you're watching from and whenever you are watching. And whether it's your first time with us, your first time in a long time, or you're one of the regulars that make Madison Church such a fun community to be a part of, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, when it comes to directions and navigation, I have found that there are essentially two types of people in the entire world. And let's see if you agree with me. Uh, there are the people who will use GPS no matter where they're going. I mean, they could be going down the road to a gas station that they've been to a hundred times and they will still plug it into Google Maps, Waze, whatever preferred software or app you want to use, and they'll do that. And then there are those of you who think uh, that you know more than the GPS all the time. Like, you just can't trust the GPS. They're selling your information, or people are spying on you, or you know a shortcut anyway that Google doesn't know about yet. And and so you never, ever use the GPS. Um, let us know in the chat room which person you are. I mean, maybe one doesn't completely define you. You can explain that to us. But my bet is you're either a GPS person or you're not. I remember a couple years ago, uh, we were going down to Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, and we were traveling the weekend after Thanksgiving, which in the United States is the busiest travel holiday kind of weekend. And so we already had made a bad decision to, to make this road trip. And so we're going down and we get to Atlanta and most of, the, most of the trip has been fine, but we're using Google Maps and we're going to Atlanta. And then it's when Google comes over the speakers and says, and says that we have found a faster route for you. There's an accident up ahead that's slowing you down. Take this exit right here, which normally is a good thing. Unfortunately, everyone else on the highway was also using Google Maps and Google gave that secret away to all of us. And so then what ended up happening is at least a hundred of us take the exit and then Google is routing us through residential neighborhoods and then eventually out in the middle of nowhere, just a long string of cars bumper to bumper. And I kid you not, it took us three hours to get from the north side of Atlanta to the south side. Now the GPS would have worked. I mean, the GPS's advice was probably good. There was an accident that was going to slow it down. And how could they have known that over a hundred of us were going to follow that advice. Now, I'm still a GPS person. If I'm going somewhere I have not gone before, I will still plug it into Google Maps to, to do this. And so um, if you have a fun story about GPS or getting lost or something, go ahead and share it again in the chat room. Um, now, long, long, long before we ever had a GPS with satellites and positioning and all of those good things, people used the compass to figure out where they were heading and, and what direction and all of that. And I'm curious if any of you have a compass or have ever used the compass. I personally have not. Part of my age and and growing up in the technology boom that I did, well, we almost always had um, GPS. But a compass really is a fascinating piece of equipment. Some consider it one of the greatest technological breakthroughs all time because um, up until that point, if the weather wasn't good uh, during certain type seasons, that you couldn't go out and travel and explore. But the compass gave people the ability to um, to let exploration happen any time of the year, no matter what the weather was doing. And so um, until the compass was invented, every mariner was terrified to go off course at sea. They didn't want to accidentally end up in bad water, shipwrecked, or worse, fall off the end of the world because, you know, they thought it was flat. Um, 
But you're probably not a mariner. Um, you're pretty sure the earth is round and you don't need a compass, right? Um, but there is something about being human that we do not want to be lost. I mean, being lost terrifies us, especially if like you're a parent and you have kids in the store. And even if they walk away for just a second, you, you lose them for a moment. It's, it's scary. But it doesn't have to be a child at the store. It can be getting lost anywhere. Um, and sometimes we get lost in life, right? So where am I going with this? Well, sometimes we get lost in life. Um, Everyone goes through storms. I mentioned at the end of my message last week that you're probably heading out of a storm, about to go into a storm, or right in the middle of a storm. And so often it's in those storms that we can lose our way if we don't have a compass or GPS that's leading us through the storm and the, and the bad seasons in our life. Now, um, don't give me credit for saying that. Don't think that I'm innovative or anything because it was actually Jesus himself who says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. How's that for an encouraging word for you today from our Lord and Savior? As long as you are alive, you will have trials and you will have sorrows. It is guaranteed. Um, now, I know that's not all encouraging, but I know that many of us are in storms. We're going through storms in life. Perhaps you got COVID-19 or someone you loved did, and that was a very stressful and scary time. You didn't know how sick they were going to be or how long they were going to be sick, or worse yet, is this life threatening? And in some cases, it has been fatal for people that we we know. And unemployment numbers continue to rise in this country. I mean, the intense financial crisis and hardship has now hit you. And it wasn't necessarily because you weren't working hard enough. It was circumstances and situations outside of your control. And now you're in a financial hardship, a financial storm in life. And I've heard numbers as high as tens of millions by the end of the summer are going to be evicted. So who knows when this financial crisis will end? Who knows when this health crisis will end? And who knows the ramifications of both of these things. And so I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in your life and in my life, and, and we're getting lost, and we're getting pulled this way, and we're getting pulled that way. And, and it is time that we're maybe looking around and saying, I'm feeling a little bit lost. It's so easy for us to get lost. We lose our perspective. We forget truths that we know, and we wander from God, and we end up places that we never intended to just by trying to get through day by day. I remember it was a Friday, and it seemed like, oh man, COVID-19 is here, and it's it's really going everywhere. But then by Sunday night, they canceled school. And then by Monday, it was like, well, we're going to cancel school for a month, and employers were shutting down. And it was like, you had no time to process any of this stuff. And so what happens is you go into a day-by-day mode. I just got to get through today. I just got to get through today. And you've been saying that maybe for weeks or months or perhaps even longer than weeks or months. You've been saying that for years. I just got to get through today. And so you're all out of sorts. And, and where am I? And I accidentally got somewhere that I didn't mean to be. And, but you're here now. And what we need is a compass. What we need as people is a tool to recalibrate ourselves. And so that's why we're doing this series now in July called Recalibrate. We're going to learn how to recalibrate our minds, bodies, and spirits back in the direction of God. And one of the primary ways that we as followers of Jesus can recalibrate ourselves is through worship. Worship realigns us with God's purposes, plans, and desires for our lives. But there is so much misunderstanding when it comes to worship. Like, 
I know just by saying worship, you had a thought of what worship is and images and memories and, and maybe a strong opinion on what worship is. Some people think that worship is a type of music, specifically a type of music that we play in church, like the song we're going to play after this message as we get together and pray to God. Like, oh yeah, that's worship. Well, yeah, it's, it's music, but other people might think that worship is something that only super spiritual people do, like maybe only pastors and people who are really in to the faith thing. Other people think that worship is something that happens at a certain time in a certain place, like church on Sunday. Now, you probably know that I wouldn't say all of this um, without also coming back and saying that those aren't completely accurate or full descriptions of worship. That's not a full understanding of worship. Now, I'm not making fun of you or saying that you should know better, not at all. For thousands of years, this has been baffling people. What is worship? And it takes us to a story back in Jesus's day. Um, people have the same kind of questions and even the notions about worship. And so let's talk about what real worship is from the Bible. Um, in John 4, which is where we're going today, we see that Jesus, who's a Jewish man, encounter a Samaritan woman. Now, this is a story that we've told a lot at Madison Church, but it is a profound moment in the New Testament with lots of concepts and applications to pull from it. And today we're going to be talking about worship. Now, a detail that we've talked about before in this story, and if it's your first time with us, great. I'm going to cover all the bases again anyway, is that um, the Jews and Samaritans fought. I mean, really bad. I mean, if we're talking, we're talking major racism and violence and hatred for each other simply because they were Jews and they were not, or they were Samaritans and they were not. And one of the things that they fought over was the place to worship. Okay, so now you're kind of seeing why we're bringing this up. The ancient Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim, located 50 miles north of Jerusalem, was the proper place to worship, and they built the temple there. Well, the Jews agreed with them. The Jewish people disagreed with them that that was the place to worship. So in 128 BC, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple. The Jews destroyed their church. They believed that the proper place to worship was at a temple in Jerusalem. And so you can see that there's just an immense amount of hatred, enough where you go and you break down their version of a church. And so this debate, this dispute had gone on for decades and decades, one generation after another generation. And we get to this point in which a Samaritan woman gets to Jesus and gets to ask him. And so she says to him, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? The Samaritan woman is asking what seems to be a question about worship, the, the question about worship in their time. Where should we worship and when should we worship? And, and she says, Jesus, you look like a prophet. Perhaps you can tell me. She's really trying to understand worship and how to go about it. And so Jesus responds to her. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. Now, remember, this woman knows generations of people who have been arguing about worship, and Jesus tells her that where, where when it comes to worship is the wrong question. That's no longer the primary concern. It's not here and it's not there, but rather what Jesus says is it's the how you worship. How we worship really is the question that we should be answering. And at Madison Church, we challenge people to grow spiritually, gather together and give back every single week. That's kind of what we challenge people to do. Um, In our leadership meetings, we would say that we want 3G followers of Jesus, 3Gs, people who are growing, gathering and giving. Now we haven't talked about this since going completely online in March. So let me just briefly break down what we mean. We believe that you connect with God, that I connect with God when we grow spiritually, which happens through prayer and reading the Bible and being baptized and baptizing others. We believe that people connect with other people when we gather together. And we're not just talking about this church service right now in this chat room or before when we're meeting in person or after when we'll meet in person again. We're talking about gathering together on a Friday night or going out to a festival over the weekend together or being a part of a small group. We're talking about doing life together. It's so hard to make spiritual friendships, real friendships, and just an hour-long service on Sunday. So we want to push people, encourage people, and challenge them to get together outside of church as well. And we connect with people through giving back. The primary way that you and I, as followers of Jesus, will connect with the world is by giving back. That's with our time and our influence and our money. Now, my question for you is, which one of these is worship? Growing spiritually sounds pretty good, but so does giving back. Can gathering together, can be going out with friends on a Friday night be worship? Well, yeah. They all can be acts of worship. Now, I know the church world has made this terribly confusing by calling the worship that we, the music that we have, worship music. And I know that other churches have called their services worship services. And so I know that it gets terribly confusing. But just like that Samaritan woman who thought worship only happened at a certain mountain, we misunderstand what worship really is that it has to take place in a certain way, at a certain place, at a certain time, doing a certain thing. And a real definition, a biblical definition of worship is worship is offering your whole self to God. Worship is offering your entire being, your whole self to God. And this is what Jesus was trying to get the Samaritan woman to understand. We are to worship in spirit and truth, which is about worshiping with our whole selves, giving God everything that we have. Jesus is telling us that worship is an inner reality. An inner reality is not confined to a certain time on Sunday. It's not defined um, by a certain place that we call a church building. It's not about great music or great musicians. While worship may happen on Sundays at church with great musicians, it is definitely not limited to that. True worship is an inner reality that can happen 24 hours a day, seven days a week, any place that you go. And Jesus intentionally uses those two words, in spirit and in truth. When he says in spirit, he is saying that when we worship, when we offer our whole selves to God, our spirit recalibrates 
with God's spirit. It can be easy for us to drift far from God, far from God's desires, far from what God commands and worship brings our hearts back to him. You might remember last week again, I had mentioned that in James, it says, when we take a step toward God, God takes a step toward us and worship is taking steps toward God and he will respond by taking steps toward us. And so, yeah, worship happens in rooms just like the one that we are filming in right now, but it is not limited to it. Another thing that I think we do with worship is we say, oh man, worship was great. I just, I really felt God today. And those moments are great. And honestly, they don't happen nearly enough, but worship isn't just when you really feel it. Worship isn't when you come to church and you're well-rested and the band plays a song that you really love and it gets you just right here in the heart and the music is good and you're feeling emotional and the Spirit of God comes on you and you're like, yeah, this worship was great. Because you can also worship and you are worshiping when you come to church tired and you don't recognize the song and the drummer's playing too loud and the vocalist messed the lyrics up. You can still worship even then. Worship isn't limited to a feeling. I wonder if you've, expl- if you've experienced that times where you really felt like, wow, God was here, but other times where you didn't, but you still sensed you were worshiping. Jesus says that true worshipers will worship in spirit, but he also says that they will worship in truth. You see, because worship isn't just about our hearts and our emotions, but it's also about engaging our heads and our minds. True worship changes the convictions of our heart, but it also changes the knowledge and understanding in our heads. It recalibrates our minds toward God. When we worship in truth, we ground ourselves in the teachings of Jesus. We try to figure out which parts of our lives aren't lined up with what Jesus says we should do or how we should think or what the things that we should say. And when we worship God and our truth, we are realigning our lives with the things that he says you should do this way and you should do that this way. And I know that there are a lot of things that get in the way from worship, right? So what are some things that get in the way of worshiping? Well, our desires, maybe you don't feel like worshiping today. You don't feel like getting out of bed. You don't feel like being here. You don't like the song. Our desires can get in the way. Our worries can get in the way. I mean, there's a pandemic outside and there's a financial crisis and there's this and that. And and are the kids going to go back to school this fall? Or is it two days on and three days off? And your mind is just flying a million miles an hour. and, And how can you worship? At a time like this, our agenda can get in the way. We have goals, dreams, and desires for our lives. And maybe those aren't God's goals, dreams, and desires. To that point, sometimes worship leaders, leaders who lead the band, that play the music in church, sometimes people that we have given the title worship leaders can forget the why behind what they're doing. It can, be so, it can be about having the right song and hitting, hitting the right notes at the right time in such a way that they forget they're singing songs to God and leading other people to that. It can really at some point become a performance or even about them. And so they need to be careful. If you're a worship leader, you need to be careful and to guard your heart. Yes, we can do this in truth and, and be excellent musicians and offer God our very best. Absolutely. But we can never, ever forget the why behind what we are doing. It's not just what goes on inside though. I don't want worship to seem to you as you're listening right now, a very private thing that, okay, I'm going to worship 24 seven and it's going to only be in here. Cause what Jesus is saying is that worship is an outer reality. True worship is also an outer reality. 
When I hear about people in our small groups who are making hard changes to better their lives and, and get more on track with what God wants for them, I know that that's true worship. This last kind of session of small groups, we had a marriage course in which eight couples, 16 people got together every week and we were reading a book and listening to teaching and doing homework in the week and having date nights with our spouses or partners. And what we're trying to do is have happier and healthier relationships the way that God wants us to. That's a true act of worship. We also had a small group in a Financial Peace University course in which for over the course of seven weeks, they learned about good financial practices. And over those seven weeks, uh, six or seven of them paid off together over $16,000 worth of debt in just two months. That is true worship when we're trying to do with our money the things that God wants us to do. I think of those who get together every single week to discuss the message, to figure out what did this mean, and I'm wrestling with this, and I'm struggling with this, and to apply those things to their lives, and to ask other people for help and for prayer. That is true worship. When we wake up early on a Sunday morning when we are able to meet in person to volunteer so that people connect with God and each other through music and their friends and coffee and prayer and the message and communion, that is true worship. And when we resolve conflict with someone who has annoyed us, irritated us, frustrated us, or just downright pissed us off, when we resolve conflict in a healthy Christian manner, well, that's true worship. When we sacrifice financially as a community, like many did over the past several months, we were able to give COVID kits, bags of food and supplies to hundreds of neighbors, 400 of them to, to have the number for you, 400 neighbors. And, and that is a true act of worship. You see, worship isn't just something that goes on in here. It starts in here, but it comes out and it permeates for the rest of my life. The apostle Paul Put, tells us worship is this. In Romans 12, he says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. Offer your entire self to him, day in and day out, moment to moment everything, that is how we worship God. Worship is the clothes that we put on in the morning, the words that we use, the food that we decide to eat. It's the music that we listen to, the TV shows that we watch. True worship isn't just something that happens in here, but it's absolutely something that happens out here. It's both an inner reality and an outer reality. And when we worship with our whole selves, inside and outside, it will begin to recalibrate us toward God. So yes, I'm not trying to say worship doesn't happen here on Sunday. Right now, it absolutely is, but it is not limited to that. I want you to have a bigger understanding of worship. Worship happens through growing spiritually, gathering together and giving back. Worship is when we offer our whole selves inside and out to God. And with that understanding, I want us to go back to the original idea of being lost and recalibrating ourselves and kind of finding our way back to God if we have drifted. In life, we all drift. I drift, you drift, we all drift. We get lost. We find ourselves in places that we never dreamed to be in. I want to give you a little bit of an example here. If you were to drift just one degree, if you were going somewhere and you were to just drift one degree, after you took one step like this, you'd be off 0.2 inches. 
I don't even know if that's noticeable. Honestly, it's not, right? One step off one degree doesn't make a difference. But if you were to keep taking steps and you walked 100 yards, that one degree, that 0.2 inches after one foot would actually be five feet. Not a big difference, but you tell we're starting to get off, right? The further we go, the more off we're getting. After a mile, we would be off 100 feet of our original goal, one degree off. And if we we're traveling from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., that one degree would put us north of Baltimore. We'd completely miss D.C. We'd completely fly over Baltimore. We'd be on the north side of that. And if we continue to go on this path one degree off and just keep going and going and going, like let's say to the moon in a rocket, we would miss the moon by over 4,000 miles. We wouldn't be anywhere near the moon, just one degree off. We have to be aware of drifting. Drifting can be dangerous. And it does start off like that, one degree, where you take one step and it doesn't seem like that bad. You made one decision, you said one thing, and maybe that was weeks ago or years ago, and you said that one thing or did that one thing, and it was just one degree off, didn't feel bad. But now that you have taken lots of steps, maybe a hundred steps, or maybe you've gone several miles, or you're starting to realize, where am I? I was aiming for here, but the one degree off, and as time has gone by, I'm, I'm way over here. Where is God, now it's time to recalibrate. And as you look at your life, you may say, I'm not as close to God as I was three months ago. Uh, You might say, I'm not as close to God as I was three years ago. But whatever it might be, today is the day to say, I'm going to course correct one degree. Instead of continuing to drift this way, I want to point one degree back toward God. I'm going to take that step toward God. I'm going to recalibrate my life through worship that is all-consuming on the inside and the outside. What we need is worship. We need moments throughout the week, throughout the day, to give our whole selves to God. Worship is that spiritual GPS that reroutes us back to God. Let's all course correct right now, even if it's by one degree. When I move closer to God, my life works better. My relationships work better. My life has purpose. I know that it has purpose when I'm living for God and I experience the abundant life that God had for me. And when I make that decision and you make that decision, we all make that decision. Our lives work better. Our communities work better. The church fulfills its mission, not just Madison Church connecting people with God and each other, but global Christianity and reaching all sorts of people who are far from God. And we will begin to make the world more like the place that God intended it to be and wants it to be. Let's all move one degree closer to God this week, this moment, now as we pray.